thank you, Mark. It's always special when your dean says nice things about you. <laughs> I've really appreciated Mark and Debbie and their welcome to me and my family. And it's an honor to be here with all of you here at Sycamore View. About 15 years ago, I was a student at HST. And during that time, my wife, Lindsay, taught in this building as a part of Harding Academy. And so this building has a special memory for us, as well as this church. And so I'm just so grateful that our family could be with you t this morning. And I'm thankful to Josh for inviting me to fill in for him. And I just pray that God can use some of the things that, that I share today to be an encouragement to each one of you. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. Sometimes it can be hard to listen. I heard about a, a husband who felt like his wife was becoming hard of hearing. And so he went to the doctor to share his concern. And the doctor said, well, here's what you need to do next, next time you're at the house and your wife has her back turned to you. Just say something softly to her and see if she responds. Thought he would do that. So the next day she's in the kitchen. She's working on dinner. Her back is turned to him, so he stands a few feet away and says softly, honey, what's for dinner? No response. His heart sinks because he thinks, oh no, her, her hearing is going. And so he moves a couple of spaces closer to her, to her. Her back is still turned to him. Again, he says, what's for dinner, honey? No response. He goes a couple further steps towards her till basically he's just right outside the kitchen. He says to her again, honey, what's for dinner? Still no response. He's starting to get really sad at this point because her hearing has gotten to be really bad. This is terrible. So he takes a couple more steps into the kitchen to where he's basically right behind her. And he says one more time, honey, what's for dinner? And this time she turns around with this exasperated look on her face and she says, I'm going to tell you one more time, it's chicken. Apparently, it wasn't her who had the hearing problem. It was him. And sometimes we can be like that. We can struggle to listen. Sometimes because our ears aren't working the way they maybe have in the past. But sometimes it can be hard to listen because the noise and the sounds around us can drown out the voice that we really need to be listening to. And is there a way that we can make sure that we're listening to the right voice? You are shaped by who you listen to. This starts even before you're born. This is why doctors tell expectant mothers, go ahead and talk to your child while they're in the womb. Because when we're born, as newborns, we don't know much. But one thing we know is the voice of our mother because of listening. This is how we learn to talk that during our first year of life, we notice our mother and our father and other adults start to speak to us and they're making sounds with their mouth and they're contorting their, their mouth in a certain way. And we start to mimic those sounds. We start to mimic the way that they're using their mouths. And pretty soon we learn to say our first words and all of it begins with listening. This is how we begin to read. 
the first steps to learning to read is being read to by someone. And as someone is reading to us, and as we're listening to them read to us, we learn about grammar and diction and vocabulary and syntax and sentence structure and pretty soon, and comprehension, and pretty soon we start to be able to read ourselves. It all begins with listening. And then as we become, become adults, the things that we believe, the causes we care about, the things that matter to us, in large part, are based on what we've listened to. In fact, I, I think I could even say that I can learn about who you are and know the kind of person you are just by learning about the things that you're listening to, the people that you listen to. Listening shapes us. Listening forms us. Listening makes us into the per- kind of per- person that we are. And, and in one way, that's kind of enlightening, but in another way, that's kind of scary. Because what if I'm listening to the wrong things? What if I'm listening to voices that are shaping me in ways that are not very healthy? And and how can I make sure that I'm listening to the right voice that is going to shape me in the right way? Well, in Matthew chapter 17, we have this story where Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on top of a high mountain to have an experience that I think we could describe as mysterious. That right there before the disciples, Jesus is transfigured. Literally the word means that he experiences metamorphosis. He changes. His face becomes like the sun and it begins to shine. His clothes become whiter than anything that Tide or Clorox could do. He starts to radiate. His body is radiating. And then right next to him stands Moses and Elijah, and they're having a conversation. I wonder what they're talking about. And Peter, as he's overwhelmed by what he's experienced, he, he does whatever what Peter normally does. He starts talking. And he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here, and if it's okay with you, I'll build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And in that moment, the cloud overwhelms them. And a voice speaks, and the voice says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. The disciples fall on the ground in worship. And there's this incredible moment of worship at this point. Then Jesus comes and touches the disciples. And they look up, and everything's back to normal It's just Jesus standing there, and they make their way down the mountain. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody what you've seen until after I've been raised from the dead. Which I've wondered, how did the apostles navigate that? Peter, what happened up there on the mountain? I can't tell you, but it was wild. (laughs) What's going on in this story? What's this story about? Well, first of all, there's a lot of Old Testament connections in this story. You have Moses and Elijah. And and the scene reminds us of another scene in the book of Exodus when Moses was on top of a high mountain and where Moses was surrounded by a cloud and there was glory and God was experienced and a voice spoke and brought forth the Ten Commandments. We're also reminded of Elijah when he had a similar kind of experience where he was on a mountain and he had an experience with God except it wasn't big and vast. Instead, it was just a, a small, quiet voice but he heard the voice of God. 
And we're reminded of both of those stories here in Matthew chapter 17 where it's very similar. They're on a mountain. There's the glory of God. It is powerful. It's amazing. And a voice is speaking. Except this time, what's different about this story is that the center of it is Jesus. That Jesus is being demonstrated to show His glory. That Peter, James, and John are getting just a little snapshot of foreshadowing of the reigning Christ. They get to see Jesus as He will be seated at the right hand of the Father. They get to see Him reigning with all His glory and splendor. And it's an awesome, awesome moment. Like Peter would later say in 2 Peter chapter 1, he said, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. It was amazing. But why does this glorious moment happen here at this point in the story? What's so significant that this, this story, this experience would happen right here in Matthew chapter 17? What's fascinating about this story is that in all three Gospels, it, it occurs at the same place. It's always right after the conversation Jesus has with his apostles at Caesarea Philippi. That's the way it is in Luke. That's the way it is in Mark. That's the way here it is in Matthew. Then in Matthew chapter 16, if you just back up, Jesus has this conversation with his apostles at Caesarea Philippi. Josh is going to talk about that next week. Where Jesus asks his, his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter does what Peter does. He starts talking, but this time he actually says something good. This is the high point of his discipleship career right here in Matthew 16 where he says, I believe that you are the Son, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Very good, Peter. You got it right. And after Jesus is correctly identified as the Messiah, he, he pivots. And he begins to explain to his disciples what that means, that he's going to be the Messiah, what the Messiah does. As it says in chapter 16, uh, verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and to be killed, and to be raised up on the third day. Now that, that phrase, from, from that time, that's an important phrase. Because it's kind of a signal that Matthew's giving us that, that something's changing in Jesus' ministry. The first time this phrase is used in the Gospel of Matthew is in chapter 4, verse 17, where something was changing there. What was changing that Jesus was starting his ministry. He was beginning his ministry in Galilee. Well, something's changing now. And what's changing now is that Jesus is entering a new phase of ministry. And that new phase is where he's going to set his mind and heart towards Jerusalem. He's going to start heading down the road to Jerusalem that's going to end in suffering and eventually death because that's what the Messiah does. The Messiah is to suffer and to die. And so Jesus tells the disciples this. But when Jesus says this, Peter doesn't agree with this. He doesn't agree with this because all of the voices that he's been listening to have shaped how he understands the Messiah. And in his mind, this is not what the Messiah does. The Messiah doesn't suffer. The Messiah reigns. The Messiah doesn't go to a cross. The Messiah has victory. The Messiah is not about death. The Messiah is about life. And so Peter promptly takes Jesus aside and he goes 
from moment, one moment having his highest moment in his discipleship career to his lowest moment in his discipleship career when he begins to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know that you're having a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan, right? That was Peter's bad day. And right after that, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to this high mountain where he's transfigured. And there's a voice that speaks. And that voice says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Which reminds us, right? It reminds us of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus comes up out of the water of the Jordan River, and the heavens part, and the Spirit comes down, descending like a dove, and God the Father speaks and says that very line, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's a, it's a moment of affirmation. It's where God the Father is saying, as you start your ministry, I'm proud of you, Son. I'm proud of you. And here in Matthew 17, God the Father says that same phrase again. Why? Because things are changing. We're moving from phase one to phase two. Jesus is setting his attention towards Jerusalem. It's a big moment. And as he starts this moment towards Jerusalem, God the Father speaks and says, I'm proud of you, son. I know where you're going. I know you're going to the cross. And I'm proud of your obedience. I'm proud that you're going to suffer. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he adds this addendum. Listen to him. I, I think there's two applications to that phrase, listen to him. Number one, there's a broad application. That, that here God is declaring that the climax of his redemptive mission is here in the person of Jesus. That he is the center of the story. And that he is the superior voice that we need to be listening to. It's kind of like what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 following, where he says, In the past, God has spoken through many prophets in di diverse ways, but in these last days, he has spoken through his Son. I think that's part of what's being said here is that you need to listen to my son because he's the center of revelation. That It's not that we don't listen to other scriptures, but all of scripture is leading towards and flowing from Jesus. And so we need to listen to Jesus. That's the broad application. But there is a more specific application and I want to focus on this. Because I kind of wonder if God the Father, as he made that statement, Listen to him. He wasn't kind of looking at Peter. Because Peter hadn't been listening to Jesus. In chapter 16, he wasn't listening to Jesus when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer and die. In fact, he rebuked him. And in, and in here, in chapter 17, he wasn't listening either. In fact, God the Father had to interrupt Peter. When he made that statement, if you, if you notice, as it says in chapter 17, verse 5, while he was still speaking, it's almost as if God the Father is saying to Peter, Peter, stop talking. You need to start listening. As one writer put it, that God the Father was telling Peter that, yes, Jesus is the Messiah who you said he was, 
but Jesus is also the Messiah who he said he will be. And you need to listen to him. He's going to a cross. He's going to suffer. You need to start listening to him. It's fascinating to me that in this story, word takes priority over vision. Peter, James, and John have seen something incredible. But the Father doesn't say, remember what you saw. He says, listen to him. Because if Peter and James and John don't get this, if they don't start listening to Jesus, if they, if they don't start letting the voice of Jesus shape their understanding of who the Messiah is instead of the other voices they're listening to, if they don't learn how to become obedient and submissive to Jesus, then they are going to fail in their calling of being disciples. And brothers and sisters, it is the same with us. It is the same with us. I recently read a, an article from the Atlantic that kind of disturbed me. The article was called, The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart. And in that article, it quotes a professor from Baylor University named Alan Jacobs. And he says this about the church and about our culture. He says, culture catechizes. Now that's a fancy word. It just means train or form. It says, culture catechizes. It teaches us what matters and what views we should take about what matters. And it does this through TV, radio, Facebook, Twitter, podcast, and many other things. People come to believe what they are most thoroughly and intensively catechized to believe. And that catechesis comes not from the churches, but from the media they consume, or rather the media that consumes them. I think what Alan Jacobs is trying to tell us is that there's a lot of voices in our culture right now. And if we're not careful, the voices that are shaping us and that we're listening to and that are forming us can be voices that are not of the church and they're not Jesus' voice. They're these other voices that we're reading and that we're hearing about. And, and I have to just add my own commentary. I, I think that's happening. You know, over the past year and a half with this pandemic and all the issues that it has brought forth, what I've observed is that most of the time our reaction to the issues that the pandemic has brought up, our reaction has been shaped by and formed by the voices in our culture that we're listening to. I, I can know how you're going to react to the situation of the pandemic based on just the voices you're listening to in our culture. And, and I think... If God the Father was speaking to us, I think He would say the same thing that He said here in chapter 17. Listen to Him. Listen to Jesus. Because that's the center of our faith. Listen to Jesus. That's where wisdom can be found. Listen to Jesus because that's the pathway to truth. Listen to Jesus because that's where spirituality is fulfilled. Listen to Jesus because that's where mission is renewed. One of my roles at HST is I'm the director of the Doctor of Ministry program, which means that I get to walk alongside of seasoned ministers and guide them and encourage them and prod them and help them as they're leading their churches or their ministries to experience missional renewal. And one thing I'm going to do in that program is I'm going to tell our students 
that if you want missional renewal to happen in your church, it doesn't start by hiring a minister. It doesn't start by reading a certain book. It doesn't start by, by doing some kind of program. Missional renewal starts when we begin listening to Jesus. When we get still and start listening to Jesus, that's when transformation starts to happen. That's when we start to live into being a disciple. It's when we're listening to Christ. And so maybe the question that we need to be be asking ourselves this morning is what are the practices in your life and in my life that help us to make sure we are listening to Jesus above all the voices around us? What what is this church doing to make sure that, that we're not being shaped by other voices? We're listening to Jesus. When the elders come together to make decisions, what are are they doing to make sure as we make these decisions, we're doing it as we're listening to Jesus. When the ministry staff comes together to plan, what what are we doing to make sure that as we come together, we're listening to Jesus? In your family, what are you doing as a family to make sure your children are listening to Jesus? What are you doing in your own walk to make sure that the voices that are shaping you is not Fox News, but the good news, not CNN, but JNN, the Jesus News Network, not Facebook, but the good book. Someone told me at the first service I need to say this, not TikTok, but The Rock. (laughs) There's a lot of voices in our culture, but what Matthew 17 teaches us is that the one voice that we need to be tuned into and that we're being shaped by and cultivated from is the voice of Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. A couple of years ago, at our church in Fort Worth, we were doing a special Sunday night event, and we entitled it, Why Jesus? What a great title, right? Why Jesus? And we asked three or four members of our church to just simply answer that question. Just four or five minutes, answer, give your testimony of why you are a follower of Jesus. And one of those that I asked, I'll call his name Bill. Bill had had a rough past, in and out of prison, struggled with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, but he had cleaned up. He'd gotten right with the Lord. He had a job. Things were going well. And I said, Bill, would you mind sharing one of these testimonies and just answering the question, why Jesus? He said, okay. It's Bill's turn. He stands up. This is what he says. He says, why Jesus? He said, where else would I go? He has the words of life. Here's Bill who had heard so many voices over his life and they had shaped many of the decisions that he had made and had led him down the wrong path. And now he was able to say, I'm not listening to any of those voices anymore. I've found a voice that gives hope, that gives truth, that gives salvation. I'm listening to Jesus. There's a lot of voices that are vying for each one of our attentions right now. But there's one voice that is the voice of truth and hope and salvation. Let's listen to Jesus.
One of the practices that we do as a church to help us listen to Jesus as we share communion. If you want to take your communion elements at this time, we are going to do that together. If you need some, they're in the back. But as we take communion this morning, let's let it guide us into listening to Jesus. That as we take of the bread, just let Jesus' voice speak to you and hear him as he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat of it. As you share the fruit of the vine, let this be a moment to listen to the voice of Jesus as he speaks to you and says, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of this. And as we have a time of reflection, let this be a moment where you hear the voice of Jesus say to you, you are a part of the body of Christ which I purchased with my blood. And as we have this moment of being still, let this be a time where you hear the voice of Jesus say, this is who you really are, a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we confess right now that too often we have, left, we have let the voices of our culture shape and form our beliefs and our actions more than your voice. And so, Lord, we repent of that. And we ask that you would help us to put into practice in our life and as a church ways to make sure that the dominant and superior voice shaping us is the voice of Jesus. And as we share the bread and the cup this morning, bless it and bless our time together. And may you help us to hear your voice. May you remind us of who we are. May we listen to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we all say together, amen.